Little Hellboy. Yeah, Little Hellboy, wee little Hellboy. <laughs> Running off. My Irish accent is so good. Hell, Hellboy, according to Seamus Haney. <laughs> His actor is wee lucky charms. Uh, I mean, this movie won six Oscars, so. Six oh, Oscars? Oh, wait. For... I guess it didn't win any Oscars. It bombed horribly. It well, bomb the Oscars. <laughs> It's going to win six Razzies, maybe, but... It I didn't even bomb in, in interesting enough ways to win Razzies, though. That's the, that's the problem. Recorded in our Nerdhaven studios, this is Pop Medieval, your hosts, Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McIntyre, discussing the intersection of medieval literature and pop culture on a semi-weekly basis. And now, back to your podcast. Uh, okay. Oh, I, I almost went you... through Hall. That's the ending. <laughs> <laughs> Oh we god, this is not gonna be this. this is not gonna be a good podcast if we're ending it already. This is not good podcast subject matter, I guess. <laughs> what, Nina? What, Doc? It is the beginning of a new season for us, and I don't mean season of the podcast, but a thing which we want to do that we're calling Movember. Do you wanna Movember. Movember. Do you wanna tell everyone about Movember? Movember is a month of movies with medieval themes. And because we are not a movie podcast, we are not one of the trillions of movie podcasts out there. We are not going to sit around and rehash the uh, plot of a movie for you. We are going to focus on the medieval themes, the medieval characters, the medieval subject matter of a movie. Um, we're going to pick one this time, uh, another one next time. We're not going to reveal the movie right up front, but, uh, and then a third one, I think what, three weeks. Yeah. We I release think we podcast every... this, this October. Yeah. We'll have three. November. November. Sorry. November. Sorry. <laughs> November. Not, not November. 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 Yes. I'll get it right uh... eventually. <laughs> and so some people might say, but last week you did, or two weeks ago you did kingdom, but yes. we will we'll treat series differently than, than we treat movies. And yes. so we, I guess it's possible we could do another, another month of movies in uh, six months or so, but uh, uh, we're going to try to keep them sequestered away. So it doesn't just become another cliche movie podcast. Right. We'll be cliched in different exciting ways. Yes. New and original ways. We will become cliched. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what movie do we have this time? So we have the movie Hellboy from, oh shoot, was this a 2019 release or 2018 release? No, this is 2019. The 2019 release reboot. I I hadn't actually, I wasn't even sure it was an actual reboot since it's a little further in time, but you you point out some things. So it it is definitely a reboot of the Hellboy franchise. Yeah, it is not a continuation. It's not another installment. Right. And there really isn't much... They they do, they 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 stay away from doing another origin story. I mean, you get a little bit of Hellboy's origins, but it's kind of uh, that's one thing I find annoying about reboots is they all want to reboot the origin story, and I am have zero interest anymore in where anyone came from ever. Uh, so it's yeah, uh, it's been I burned out of me. I, I I'm paraphrasing. Um... Uh, gosh, I can't remember who said it now, but I don't, I don't care about the things, uh, that I like where they came from. I just want to know about the things that I like. That's yeah. all. So, so when you first said this to me, I said, I, I had no idea that it, 
was a medieval movie. I mean, Hellboy is not medieval, basically. Shocking. Uh, yeah. So how, like, what happened? Like, you you watched it, and uh, what happened to say, like, this would be a good topic? Uh, the opening uh, narration and the basically the cold open of this movie is an Arthurian legend. And I said, oh, this should be interesting. Maybe this is good podcast fodder, um, which... <laughs> Uh, again, we're not going to rehash the entire plot of the movie because we are not another movie podcast. Um, the, the movie itself, uh, hit or miss. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll keep my opinions of the movie itself to a minimum. Um, but the Arthurian legend itself is pretty interesting. I've never seen a movie tackle, um, the Arthurian myth quite in this respect. It's, it's unique. Yeah. It's different in terms of how... The characters are descended from King Arthur. Oh, I should probably say big spoiler alert. We're going to talk. We're going to spoil the heck out of this movie. Yeah. Um, and the other movies in, in Movember as well. It's different. I, I, I thought this was going to be... I didn't realize that, one, this was an Arthurian myth. And two, it tells you right up front that this is. And it's different about how it's, it, it's approaching this subject matter. Yeah, I mean, I think the basic idea is supposed to be tagging off of the idea that Arthur that Arthur ends up going off to Avalon and he'll come back someday. And this question and and that Hellboy is in some way his descendant slash, I guess, potential new avatar of Arthur or, or maybe straight up reincarnation. I guess avatar of Arthur is a better way to put it. Uh, and and whether that's whether he will be the new Arthur uh thus ushering a, a dark age, uh, which is not what one, one thinks about Arthur doing. Yeah, because Hellboy, it's revealed at the end of this movie, again, big spoiler, um, that Hellboy is a descendant of Arthur, a matrilineal descendant of Arthur, right. um, and a demon. Well, we knew he was a yeah. demon. Yeah. I, I mean, to be honest, as a spoiler, it's a... It's not a very sp- like I kind yeah, of it, I kind of knew he was I mean, going to be yeah. descended in some way from Arthur. You know, I, he's a demon. That's not right. a big spoiler. But the fact that his his uh, paternal well, through his mother, he's a right. descendant of King Arthur. That's kind of a shock. And well, I'm not a huge shock, but I mean, it's that's kind of his his trace origins are from King Arthur. Yeah, that's where the movie comes from. So. So my big complaint, which I'll be coming back to later, is a kind of more meta complaint about movies like this. And the, I, and my complaint is this, that if you look at Arthurian legend, there are stories about King Arthur. But King Arthur is, I, I would argue that King Arthur is more of a setting. So, so many Arthurian legends are basically something's going on in King Arthur's court. Mm-hmm. And or there's some characters from King Arthur's court doing something and suddenly an adventure begins and they split off from the court. And now it's Sir So-and-so who's having the yeah. adventure. Uh, so a very famous example, of this that probably everyone's read in high school would be Sir Gawain, the Green Knight, where it oh, begins. Absolutely. It begins in Arthur's court and then he takes off and that's it. Or mm-hmm. the wife of Bath's Tale. Wife of Bath's Tale, people forget, is an Arthurian legend. Arthur is, I think, barely mentioned. Guinevere gets a couple more mentions, but it's really about someone, some other unnamed knight. Or Cretan de Troyes' Arthurian romances have a tendency to be about Gawain or Bors or somebody else, you know. Yeah. King um, Arthur is arguably the least important and least interesting character of his own story. 
Yes, and even Malay's La Morte Arthur, you know, the kind of most famous of the of, of the Arthurian, of the modern Arthurian legends, it's not so much about Arthur. I mean, at the very beginning, when we look at Geoffrey uh, uh, of Monmouth's History of the Kings of Britain, Arthur doesn't even show up until like, it's more about Constantine and Arthur shows up about two thirds of the way through. And so I think the adaptations of Arthurian legend that tend to be the best do treat him like a setting. So like a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court, Arthur is Mm -hmm. a character in that, but it's really more about the Yankee. uh, Yeah. Hank. Right. Uh, And the many iterations of that. Uh, And here we have this, in this case, trying to make a character Arthur, I think is where it falls apart. So when you look at all the Hollywood adaptations of Arthurian legend, um, or even not even Arthurian legend, but all the many, a kid in King Arthur's court, a spaceman in King Arthur's court, uh, in, in you know, uh, an old discarded piece of drywall in King Arthur's court, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. Is that a real one? <laughs> no, I made that one up, but uh, we're not far away from See, I would see this. <laughs> It's a it's a real just art to house. See if picture. it was real. Yeah. It's just six hours of looking at this piece of drywall, and in uh, mm. three hours and eighteen minutes into it, uh, suddenly a sword hits it once, and then uh, that's <laughs> everyone stands up and cheers, and then you sit down and you gaze at it and wonder for the last couple hours. Village um, voice calls it riveting. Yes. So, anyway, so I think they tend to be they tend to be better when Arthur is, as I said, more of just a setting. Um, and so where this works, I think, is when Arthur is more of a setting. Well, the movie has other problems, but where it works is Arthur in legend is when it's not really so much about Arthur and more about other stuff that is somehow connected to it. I see. Yeah. And I've never really been a big fan of the whole Arthur myth itself. I, I find it. I find it uninteresting like you said and especially because it always seems to concentrate on one king arthur and the triangle between king arthur and lancelot and guinevere right uh which i i've never found that exciting i've never found that interesting because it's just a love triangle i mean we've seen that and and thankfully this movie does not have that and that's an imported one from tristan isolde right Uh, so it's not even a kind of if there is such a thing as an original arthurian myth which I guess there really isn't, but uh, you know, that's it's, it's more interestingly told in a lot of different versions of Tristan Isolde. So yeah. Yeah. Which, and we better not get into that. Cause we might end up doing a film version of that at some point. Exactly. Mm-hmm. No spoilers, but this, and, and I think this movie in particular treats Hellboy as the, well, I mean, he is the second coming of King Arthur. And yeah. I think that's why it, falls flat to me i i can't say that's the reason for its bad domestic returns but it's it's not painting him as anything his specialness falls and as falls under the fact that he's king arthur and it is is, that is weird we've heard we have the chosen one story yeah we have the chosen one trope He's already yeah. he's already a demon, so I'm not really sure why he also needs to be a chosen one in another way. It does seem like a, an yeah. odd. Hellboy wasn't interesting or special enough. He also has to be King Arthur, right? Uh, it does seem like a an unnecessary choice. So let's talk about some of the characters. There was one yes. character in particular who really interested you. Sure. Yeah, I I really liked Nimue, and I liked her because we don't see this character played portrayed too often in King Arthur myths, at least not in in current day King right. Arthur myths. 
Uh, Nimue is a background character, or at yeah. least she is in 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 current myths. She's the Lady of the Lake. Right. She's who. She's the character who gifts King Arthur with uh, Excalibur, and that's who she is in in Hellboy. She's trying to give uh, Hellboy the second coming of King Arthur Excalibur, so he'll be her king and rule at her side in this world where the monsters rule which yeah that's kind of interesting but not really um but too often we've seen morgan or morgan right. lefay or Morgraine or however it's pronounced we've seen her as the bad guy we've seen her as the main antagonist to arthur um we don't see nimue and i thought that was an interesting choice yeah i agree i thought that was i thought that was the most interesting arthurian choice like Merlin's a character in here who, if you've seen Indiana Jones' Last Crusade, he's mm-hmm. he's the Last Crusader. He's exactly that role. Yeah, uh, he plays very little other role. It came, right. it just, except to show up and give some exposition when needed, and then disappear. Um, yeah, you know, but she is an interesting character. She's a very mysterious character, and in different iterations, like where she's Vivian or other, like the Lady of the Lake, is a really is a really flexible character because there's so little, she's always mysterious, I think. And, mm-hmm. and what I like about this, what engineer Mike was talking about before we started recording was the way in which as, as he said, she's, she keeps trying to get Excalibur into Hellboy's hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she really is playing that role. And so in the kind of what happened in, what year is this supposed to have taken place to be? 5, 5, 5, 5, 517 AD. 517, yeah. Which uh, the movie incorrectly says is the 5th century. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> math, math, math wasn't the important part of this, I guess. No. Uh, and also they called it the Dark Ages, which uh, all all medievalists get irritated by that, but we'll forget that for a moment. Um, yeah, and then like he cuts off her head. Uh, and then dismembers her with Excalibur, yeah. which probably isn't what she planned on doing. So we have this sense that like the kind of beginning part of Arthurian myth is exactly what you thought it was, but it turned out it was all an evil version of that. Yeah. They, they play her mostly as a kind of campy villain, though there are some scenes where she's played for more broad comedy and I didn't care for those. Uh, I thought she was better when she was a kind of where, where she was this, Villain. This movie did have tone problems. Yes, it went back and forth a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, unlike, I didn't, I only watched it once. I And uh, that was the biggest problem I had with it was the tone. It kept <laughs> switching around. Like, I was, I'd be entertained and then I'd be watching, seemed like a different movie. So then yeah. when we get to the end, uh, you know, she gets Excalibur into Hellboy's head and he cuts off her head. So mm-hmm. I, it, it, it felt to me, so I'm going to enrage half of the nerds out there. One of the things I hate about the movie Avengers, uh, which I do not like, uh, and whenever someone says it's their favorite superhero movie, I immediately shut off what I'm listening to so I can continue to respect them in the future, uh, is what is... Yeah, the, so you can send your hate mail to Engineer Mike at engineermike.com. Oh, uh, anyway... There probably there probably is an engineer Mike.com out there. Oh uh, god, that poor man. <laughs> send it to send it to Joss Whedon. He's the one who told me to say this. Uh like my my complaint is 
Loki's plan makes no sense. It's let's make Hulk really mad and everything will somehow work out. And he makes Hulk really mad and Hulk does exactly what everyone expected him to do. And so she, this is a villain. She has the exact same problem, which is her plan. She does what she wanted to do. And yet it, it ends up playing out exactly as it did before. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, it, it feels like one of those villainous plans that didn't make a lot of sense, but I like her as a character. I, I would really like to see less Morgan Morgan or Morgan Le Fay or uh, I'd I really like to see a lot more Lady of the Lake in adaptations just yeah. because she's such an interesting character. There was no lake in this movie. And I know that's a kind of a, a stupid complaint, but I would like I would have liked to have seen uh, more of the Lady of the Lake metaphor. I thought that would yeah. have been, yeah, I, more more working in of the Arthurian myth. I understand they were trying to do a little bit more of their own thing, which is fine. I mean, it's yeah. an Arthurian myth. You can do whatever you want. But I, right. I would have liked to have seen just more of, more pulling from traditional myth just to call back some things. Yeah. Uh, but she, yeah, she, yeah, she's clearly the lady of the lake. She's offering Excalibur that's that's her thing that's what Nimue does in traditional myth but I I didn't see anything that would have any other signifiers that she was Nimue the lady of the lake so I yeah and I had that problem and she's associated really strongly with witches I mean explicitly associated then there's the uh uh, she was on Pendleton right Pendleton Hill yes uh instead of a lake which is was that 17th century I think was the Pendleton Hill which outbreak or anyway, uh, some, yeah. some British listeners will are now angrily yelling at me for getting something wrong about that. Uh, but <laughs> that doesn't, um, so she's not a fairy. She's a witch, which I would be okay with that, except that this is a, um, except that this is a, a story that has all sorts of, well, this is a story that has all sorts of other mysterious characters who are fairy tale characters, uh, mm-hmm. as we'll talk about later, Baba Yaga. And so I don't know why. Why couldn't it have been? Yeah, because they, they do make an effort to bring in uh, Ganeda. Yes. Who is another. I had to look her up because she's only in it for two scenes really minor character very very minor character and I, I looked her up to see if she was indeed part of Arthurian myth and she was but she's she appears in La Mort d'Arthur as uh, Merlin's wife or sister or both yeah, I don't know some, yeah horrifying yeah, yeah um and I I that was shocking because one that's I would assume that's a pretty big part in Arthurian myth but I didn't know. I know we were talking about this before the podcast and I, I, this is, but again, she's just, she's in and she's out. She's in the beginning as someone who betrays Nimue and also in the movie, she's her sister. Yes. Or she's one of her sisters that betrays her to Arthur. There's Um, lots of these, there's lots of these interesting side and very mysterious and magical side female characters in Arthurian legend. I think it's a really rich vein that you know future adapters could could really tap into yeah it, well with uh marion zimmer marion zimmer bradley's mm-hmm. um 
Mists of Avalon and, and that book and that series. Is she, that's is she the attempt. In that series? She is. Okay. Well, Ganeda, I no, I don't, I don't believe so. No. Yeah, I don't remember, but you know, that's but, a long series. Yeah, so. it's a long book in the series. It's been a long time since I. Well, no, it hasn't been a long time since I read the book. But anyway, the I, I just I I don't know. Were there were there cuts to this movie that maybe she had a, a larger part in? I don't know because at one point she is in the 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 end of the second act where she is with the with Nimue and Hellboy at the tree when Nimue is trying to get her blood back from the tree. Don't ask; it's it's a strange <laughs> strange plot point. But uh, she's asking for mercy and offering Nimue's crown back, and then action happens, and then she's gone. Yeah. Ganeda and I have no idea what happens to her and so I I just thought that was a a very strange artistic choice on behalf of the movie to have this character in just to bridge these two plot points together and then just kind of not have her for the rest of the movie so I I'm just scratching my head at that one I would have liked to have seen more of that but yeah I don't know uh, so you wanted to mention Baba Yaga, which was the one of the creepiest characters in terms of design and intention in that movie. Yeah, Baba Yaga is having this interesting renaissance in film. Um, I think, well, I'm, maybe only one other thing, but, you know, Baba Yaga is an important theme in all the John Wick movies. Uh, there's yes. all sorts of references. So The Boogeyman. Yes, The Boogeyman. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are all sorts of visual and other references to refer to John Wick as Baba Yaga. Here, Baba Yaga is straight up Baba Yaga. Now, Baba Yaga is a character from early modern Russian folklore, not Arthurian. As far as we know, not medieval. Um, I wouldn't be shocked to find out that she has medieval origins. Uh, But she is this creepy and interesting character who acts much more like a traditional fairy would. And sometimes in Arthurian myth, what we have is we'll have these characters who are who are fairies in some way. And there has to be some kind of exchange, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, um, maybe one of the ones that people might be familiar with is in. I was about to say Leoman. Is that the one? I think it is. Uh, where basically the knight is having is is having a love affair with this fairy, and the rule is you can't tell anyone. Um, mm-hmm. And he gets into trouble because Guinevere is hitting on him, and he keeps rejecting her, uh, and she's insulted by this because she doesn't know about his other relationship, uh, which gets at some of the weirder thing, weirder ways that uh, wow. that the medievals thought about adultery, which is yeah disrespecting her by turning her down is worse than her sleeping around on Arthur. I see. Yeah. But yeah. So Baba Yaga plays this kind of evil fairy role. There's a lot of stuff that she does that could have been picked up by some other characters, but I think it's part of weaving together this whole fairy tale world so that King Arthur and the Pendle Hill witches and Russian folklore and giants and all these other stories, they all kind of live in the same world and, and vamp and, and Mexican vampire stories. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they all kind of live in the same world the, the, where there's a show get some more angry emails. 
there's a show called uh, Coast to Coast Live, which has been on for some decades, which is a radio show dealing with supernatural things. Uh, oh, yeah. And I loved <laughs> Coast to Coast Live. I, it might not still be on the air, but, uh, but I, I loved that show. And what I loved about it was the hosts, the both hosts, complete amnesia of what they of what happened the week before, because mm-hmm. whatever worldview, supernatural worldview was espoused might be incompatible with what they had the next week. But that didn't mm-hmm. make any difference. I and, see, yeah. and this is sort of that world, right, uh, where it doesn't matter that maybe Baba Yaga is from is from a setting where magic works in a different way or folklore works in a different way or, or these Mexican vampires or which weirdly exist are, are part of uh luchador culture. I think uh, <laughs> actually I, I like that. I like the luchador vampire. I really actually did enjoy that element of it, but um, there's a sense that all this stuff all fits together. And so Baba Yaga all, also plays this malevolent role. And to the degree that there really aren't, I think in this story many characters from i'll just call them the fairy tale world uh though some might not be exactly fairy tales the best you get is they're kind of neutral uh there really aren't that many that are totally on the side of humans and if they are they are like uh what's the 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 werecat's name dymo yeah dymo uh, they're they're they are in some ways humans themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, but it is interesting to me that Baba Yaga seems to be coming from. I don't, I don't know. When I used to teaching myth and folklore five years ago, no one heard of Baba Yaga. Now, like all my students have heard of Baba Yaga. They don't know much about her, but they've heard of her. She's yeah. now become it's this more than likely through John Wick. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, so I like having Baba Yaga in the story. I, I, I guess that's what's interesting to me is that I, I, part of my complaint about treating King the King Arthur should be a setting. Maybe mm-hmm. what I should say is if you're going to have King Arthur as a setting, bring in all these other elements is the fun part. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Arthurian legend has always been like, oh, Tristan Isolde myth. Uh, no, that's ours now. We're we're yeah. we're that now, you know, uh, and the pick up myths from all sorts of other places. I mean, heck, the opening of Sir Gawain the Green Knight is Trojan War. Nope, that's our myth. <laughs> Uh, that's yeah. Arthur in now, so everything gets. I to see. Be. So, what do you think of Hellboy as Arthur? The theme of Hellboy as Arthur, though, for this movie. So, like I said, I didn't think it was necessary for the idea of the chosen one that he's the chosen one, but there are really some in, in the Hellboy character. There are some real Arthurian elements that are already there. Uh, he is. In a lot of retellings, he's of questionable origin or questionable birth. This is the case with mm-hmm. Hellboy. Raised by someone who's not his father. This is the case of this Hellboy. Is, yeah. Right. Um, instead of Excalibur, which is an actual object or symbol in, in this movie, he has this big old hand uh, that he uses, <laughs> in this case, to fight giants, which is a ve- being a giant slayer is very Arthurian. I mean, there are... If you're writing, like a lot of people, when they imagine Arthurian legend, they think these knights are fighting dragons, and they do. But more often, it's like they're fighting giants. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you need a if you need a villain, just grab a giant, and the the knight will slay them. And so they're really, and, and there is a sense that he is in some way destined for something. Uh, you know, whether that something is evil or or 
or goodness is there it is seems a talk like he's of destined him being, to evil. Yeah. Now. Yeah, there is a talk about him being destined for something. Right. Nimue does pull him away from what he thinks he's supposed to be doing and, and says, no, your destiny is to be evil and reign at my side. Right. Right. And that's essentially the same thing as the regular Arthurian myth, except it's to be good, right? That somehow he's destined to be good, destined by God or, or you know, depending on how religious they are, sometimes Merlin or someone else has worked this out. Or just the general fave fairy forces of the cosmos have decided uh, this is Arthur. Uh, this is what he's going to do. So I, I actually think Ar- th- I'm sympathetic to the idea that Hellboy already was an Arthurian figure. I actually would have preferred for them to do the whole Arthurian imagery mm-hmm. without having him literally be like the descendant of King Arthur, if that makes sense. Or have Excalibur literally be at the center of this. In, pa- in fact, when there was the whole question about like putting Excalibur in the stone and that kind of thing, I have to admit the first time I, s- well, I actually only saw it once. The, uh, when I saw it, I somehow thought that him, that his big old hand, his big Hellboy hand, that he was somehow going to grip Excalibur and somehow that would be putting it in the stone or removing it from the, like that somehow his hand itself would be the stone from which it is removed. Right. Um, which it wasn't, of course, uh, but... Uh, so I actually think there there is some there are some Arthurian elements to the character. I guess I would have rather seen those played up than made him literally King Arthur or the second coming of Arthur. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now my final question to you before we get to recommendations mm-hmm. is the following: Who was the better Hellboy, David Harbor or Ron Perlman? Now be, now think about this question. Yes, I I. I think I actually think that David Harbour was the better Hellboy, but he is Ooh. not in the better Hellboy movies. Ouch. Wow. That's that is that is a wrong answer. I mean Well <laughs> I and I I must say, when you asked me that, which you sprung it on me, so this is an yeah. ill-considered answer, but the first thing I thought was that the problem is the hard part about this is Perlman, I think, establishes the screen presence of Hellboy. And so I do think that Harbor is better, but there is definitely a standing on the shoulders of giants element to... <laughs> Funny. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you. I'll be here all week Excellent. with my medieval mm-hmm. jokes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so you're, you're going to make a strong claim for Perlman, I take it. Uh, no, the correct answer is Tim Curry in Legend. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I will be here all week. Uh, oh okay. my gosh. Yes. All right. <laughs> okay, so uh, Oh my gosh. We're not doing legend for Movember, are we? We're not. <laughs> oh man. Not this time. Oh I we might have to put that on the I know we want to do more contemporary movies, but we might have to put that on the on, on, on the list for future. That, that'll be months. on. Yeah. Yes, we will. We'll be analyzing that movie eventually, but no, yeah. not for a Movember. But maybe we'll wait till uh, Tom Cruise does something crazy. Uh, yes. So next week. Um, yeah. All right. So we want to do recommendations and yes. plugs and whatnot. Yes. Go ahead. Okay. So I want to recommend 
I figure I should recommend another film, but I want to tie it into a book. Okay. And that film is an old cartoon uh, from Walt Disney, The Sword in the Stone. Uh, oh, and, yeah. And yeah. I want to recommend this. It is a decent cartoon. It's not the best, uh, but it is an interesting adaptation of the first part of the other half of my recommendation, which is T.H. White's The Once and Future King. Mm -hmm. uh, the Once and Future King is divided up into four different sections. And in only in the first section is there the young King Arthur, which is the part that is adapted by Disney and made a little less political and more a bildungsroman about growing up as a child. Uh, because the Once and Future King is really has a lot to do with World War II. And we do have a lot of the same kind of tropes that you get in Arthurian legend. It's really an ever, even though it's about World War II, because he's tying into King Arthur, it's really a, a very evergreen book. There's a lot of very disturbing scenes in it, mm -hmm. uh, which you might not expect if you've seen The Sword in the Stone. Uh, <laughs> and the different, the four books often have a very different tone to them. There's some disturbing scenes, there's a lot of interesting things. Having taught this in an Arthurian Legends class more than once, um, I've learned that students who have never read an Arthurian legend find it really like it. And students who've read Arthurian legend really like it and they like it for different reasons. So uh, if you, whether you are into Arthurian legend or not, T.H. White's the once and future King uh, is what I'm going to recommend. And if you are under the age of, you know, 12 uh, Disney's the sword in the stone, I guess you can watch that if you're older too. Well, yeah, I mean, the the fight scene between Merlin and Mad Madam Min in, in Disney's The Sword in the Stone yes. is forever the best fight scene. Yes, I mean, I, to this day, I still hate Sunshine. And any time that anyone opens the blinds before 8 a.m., I, I turn into Mad Madam Min and <laughs> I hate shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll go on with my recommendation. Um, the pig creature in Hellboy just disturbed me to no end. This is one creature that I did not like. I, I did not find this creature fun at all. Very upsetting. Um, it, its name was Grugach or Gruach. Yeah, something like that. I was researching this. It's a, a, a brownie. Some sort of fairy, oh, is that right? yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, a changeling. A changeling, yeah. Right. Well, in the movie, it is. I don't know the that movie. name. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's been replaced it's, what for a for a human child. Yeah, well, not historical, but the the folklore is that it's a brownie. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, I was trying to remember where you know, other than you know the the Girl Scouts brownies that mm -hmm. I I remember. I was never a brownie. But uh, the where have I remembered brownies from? And then oh yeah, Willow, yes. the yes Willow, which is another one of those '80s fantastical movies that mm -hmm. seem to be seem to come out every you know two or three months in the 1980s that were fantastic, low budget, always had uh, ridiculous costumes, kind of like Legend. But no, my recommendation is Willow. If you ever want to see a really weird fantasy movie with mythological creatures and folklore and um little people in it with brownies please go see willow it was a big part of my childhood i'm surprised i didn't run screaming from this movie because there's a lot of disturbing scenes in willow that you know you're all pigs just yes that particular scene in general was 
horrifying, but uh, no. And and for those who, you know, you said like legend, you mean it's yeah. weird like legend. It is very different, very different. Oh, movie. Legend very, is very serious. Yeah. Legend is, right. yeah. Legend Leg- is, right. is a very serious movie. It's, um, it's almost a horror film, but yes, not yeah, quite. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, but, uh, there's a lot of silliness and, uh, uh, fun in Willow. Yeah. Uh, that you don't have so much of in legend. So, yeah. Um, yeah, Willow has little people in both senses of the word. Little people yeah. and little people. Yeah, yeah yes. so it has both. So yes. if that was ambiguous, good. You got both senses of it in yes. there. So, yes, yeah. I was intentional in my vagueness. Yeah, so. Willow so, from 1988. 1988. 1988, yeah. Wow, I didn't think it was that late. Yep. Uh, a young and, and very tiny Val Kilmer, as I recall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he was very dreamy. Yes. So, uh, anything else to add uh, for our first ever Movember uh, movie? I do. Um, so, <laughs> uh, Engineer Mike got very upset when he listened to our <laughs> last podcast and said, how come you don't know our feedback email? Um, so, I will let everyone know that if you have any feedback to send to us... Um, uh, please let it be fan mail. Please don't send us hate mail. Um, you can reach us at podcast at profawesome.com. That is podcast spelled the normal way, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at profawesome, P-R-O-F-A-W-E-S-O-M-E dot com. And you can always subscribe to us at profawesome.com slash popmedieval. Yes, and... Uh... We don't want to make engineer Mike is already mad enough at us for other reasons. We've gotten yeah. in big trouble with engineer Mike lately. So we're, we're in podcast jail uh, yeah. at the moment. So uh, send, send good, send good messages to engineer Mike at the podcast feedback. Yeah. If you uh, must send hate mail, please don't send it to engineer Mike. No, only tell how great the engineering is. Yes, please do <laughs> <laughs> send him all the love in the world. All right. Okay, well, West Through Hall, Nina. West Through Hall, Doc. Pop Medieval was recorded in our Nerd Haven studio. Your hosts are Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina Matthews. Our audio engineer is Engineer Mike. Original music provided by Dr. John Jennings. For more information, visit our website at profawesome.com slash popmedieval. That's P-R-O-F-A-W-E-S-O-M-E dot com slash popmedieval. Thank you for listening. So... I honestly, <laughs> I honestly didn't know that David Harbor was playing Hellboy in this. I knew it wasn't Ron Perlman, but I thought it was for some reason I had in mind it was some really young guy, and I didn't know who it was. <laughs> yeah. And up until the closing credits, through the whole thing, I kept thinking, why is this guy impersonating David Harbor as part of <laughs> as part of his yeah. Hellboy act? Like I, uh, I. Why is this guy I, pretending I, to be Hopper? Yes, I completely. So good job at being David Harbor. I da- David yeah. David Harbor. David? I will say that right. Mm-hmm.